Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face.
Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today. Uh, well, not actually here with us. I mean, digitally here with us. Uh, James Fell joining us, I think, from somewhere in Calgary. We're here to talk about his new book, The Holy Shit Moment, How Lasting Change Can Happen in an Instant. James, thank you for taking the time to hang out with me online today. Oh, you're very welcome, David. And you just answered one of my questions out of the gate is, is it okay to swear on your podcast? You said the full title of the book, so I guess we're all right on that one. So that's no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, let's maybe maybe we keep it to a dull roar. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll be good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. If it's going to help to uh, you know make a point or, or 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 get us across the finish line, then I'm then I'm all for it. So how do you? That, that's a funny question to start right in on. I mean, I've got so many questions. And by the way, congratulations on the on the book. Uh, a wonder a wonderful read anything talking about change for me uh, grabs grabs my eye and 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 i i hope you sell a million of these this this is uh <laughs> so do I. and and it's and it's been out a week today so yes. maybe we can we can talk a little bit about that but just on that level how do you refer to it when you're talking about the book if you're not allowed to swear what do you say the holy moment well uh, so this was a dis- concern that I had when I was talking to my publisher saying, you know, what are we going to do? And, and she said, yeah, nah, somebody will figure it out for us. And it was CBC radio that uh, did it first. I went on the Alberta noon show that I'd done many times before. And that just the, uh, the producer came out and said, yeah, so we're just going to refer to it as the Holy S moment. And I said, yeah, that sounds fine. That sounds good. And then she explained that uh, while she was introducing me saying that's not the actual title of the book that's the cleaned up version the title has you know the full four letter word so use your imagination and you know people understand what uh, what it is i was on a radio call this morning that was just with this very interesting man in uh, in rhode island that uh, was referring to it as the holy feces moment <laughs> the holy feces moment very funny and- and I thought, okay, you know, I'd just rather you said S, that would be fine, but whatever. Yeah, I think I think actually that's a whole other book. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. The so, sacred excrement moment, maybe, that, I don't know. Yes, yes. I guess S could stand for scatological, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm guessing right now listeners are wondering, where, pray tell, is this interview going? I don't know yet. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. So I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read something here about Chuck. Quote: The bat to Chuck's skull was what ended his life, metaphorically speaking. I, t- I tell people I died that day. The old Chuck is dead. I killed him. Chuck's realization that he had to change happened in an instant when he knew he had to become not just the father his child needed, but the husband his wife deserved. Yet Chuck didn't stop thinking there. The powerful aha moment brought additional clarity to who he was and how he needed to change. Close quote. Those are your words from the holy S moment. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about the book. Tell us a little bit about your theory of change, I suppose, and, and, and what got you here and why you would even want us to know about Chuck. Well, having worked in health and fitness and weight loss and approaching it from a motivational perspective for many years, it's uh, that would was what I had been writing about for a long time. One of the things you notice, there are so many different ways to adopt physical activity. And there's so many different diets that a person that can go on. But it's an industry that wants to sell you some type of miracle weight loss solution based on, you know, this is the best diet. This is the best exercise regimen. And it's all crap. 
it's it's whatever appeals to that person the most. And in Chuck's example, uh, he weighed over 400 pounds and had tried and failed to lose weight many times. And then because of a transformative experience, he was suddenly overwhelmingly motivated where he knew that this time it was going to be successful. There's another quote in that chapter directly from Chuck where he said, I didn't have to struggle with my motivation. It came built in. And the reason why is that he was no longer focusing on the behaviors, the actions that he had to take in order to lose weight, but he transformed at a core level of his identity and his values where what happens when you when you go through that identity change, you read about how you know the old Chuck was dead, that all of your actions and behaviors just sync up in line so that moving forward, it seems like it's effortless because what was once drudgery now comes to feel like this is your destiny that needs to be fulfilled. And that is one of the big problems that we see with behavior change is that the focus is on the behavior rather than your your core identity. And we talk about micro changes to slowly develop habits where you drop your drag yourself over some type of a motivational tipping point where you can just develop a routine via you know grit and discipline and it becomes sticky and yes that approach does work and i don't throw it out completely but the adherence rates are not so great and one of the reasons why i decided to to look into this book as an idea was because i had experienced something like this a, a transformative event uh, a holy shit moment that that really changed my life and i done some research and at, talked to people and found out that many other people had as well that there was a completely different way to approach behavior change where if you had some type of peak experience that altered your identity all of a sudden, you may discover that those behaviors that you've been struggling to change via baby steps suddenly become an effortless uh, shift of mindset where you're driven to do this. And it's it's like this, you become unstoppable. James, is this, so is this, I mean, I have so many questions. I love everything I'm hearing, by the way. <laughs> Can you get to that epiphany? Can you get to that moment without some of those baby steps before? So, you know, I used to have a friend who, who, who would say, you know, take the people that you've met in the past 10 or 15 or 20 years out of your life, all the crazy situations you've had, the places you've been, and you would not be the person you are today. Um, so I'm just wondering if, if you can have those sort of ba baseball bats to the back of the head without having gone through X, Y, and Z before. Does that make sense? Uh, all of us have the ability to have one, you know, today, right now, because of our past life experiences. It's something that pops up from the unconscious based on our, you know, the, the, all of the, the RAM memory <laughs> that, that's floating around in our gray matter that has a tendency to, uh, gel in a profound way all of a sudden because there's two different types of of systems of thinking there's the uh, the the slower system two thinking that is the the rational methodical approach and then there's the very rapid system one thinking where a, where an idea just suddenly pops into consciousness from the subconscious so there's there's the people that have it literally popping out of existence seemingly 
out of nowhere. And I say seemingly because it was residing below the surface in their unconscious. And then it's it's the pieces of the puzzle suddenly all coming together. This is what human creativity is known for, that you have this eureka moment where right. suddenly the answer is delivered to you. And it might be an answer about some type of mechanical problem you're working on or, or a piece of musical composition or uh, something, you know, how to solve a problem at work. But it can also be about what do I do with the rest of my life? Where do I find the motivation to alter my health or some type of uh, should I go back to school or how should I solve this problem in my relationship or even my mood state, the way I feel about myself? These types of eureka moments can apply to literally anything about the way that we that we move through our lives. Isn't isn't this isn't this what a, a moment of discovery is for a scientist? All these yes. years, all these years of knowledge and study and papers and lectures all come to moment, come to that moment where they they put it all together subconsciously. Or Michael Polanyi actually would call it indwelling, like they they've just lived this stuff for so long that all of a sudden, bam! It's the it's the baseball bat. Yes, and or the lightning strike, or you know whatever it is that you want to call it. But there's there's different ways to approach it that you can help push it along as well. So the information may already be there. The uh, I think it, it was um, uh, Maslow who came up with the the hierarchy of needs, which isn't something that we we really use that much in psychological circles, but it does get referenced a lot. But he he referred to them as peak experiences, and that we already have capacities and talents and missions and callings that and information that we can use to have this peak experience however you may need to do some pre-work to help initiate this because say it say it i like using weight loss as an example not because i think it applies to everyone or everyone should consider it but it's because it's one of those things that's really hard to do. It's exceptionally challenging for people to follow through on. And once you lose the weight in order to keep it off, you know, we, we see that the adherence rates are very low. And it may be that uh, that you need to engage in some of that baby steps, be a tortoise, not a hare um, approach in order to have the sudden realization that this is something that uh, – that you know, you can be very motivated to do like the example of Leslie in the introduction, the right. fencer who she slogged at fencing for a couple of months, not really enjoying it, not feeling like this was anything that was of importance to her. And then during class one day, she had that sudden transformative experience where um, she realized I'm going to get as good at this as I possibly can. And 10 years later, won that silver medal at the North American level, um, you know, you know, it, the way that I look at motivation is that it, it's like a mountain where if you have absolutely no mo motivation to do anything to work toward a goal, you're down at the base of the mountain. And so we what, would see the, yeah, sorry. sorry, James. Yeah, sorry. Just uh, two things. One, my son has been doing some fencing over the last couple of years. He's, th <laughs> he's 13 years old. So yeah, I couldn't help but smile at that. And there's something about it, you know, and I don't know if there's a connection here or not, but there's a precision right to fencing. I don't know if you've ever yes. done it. My wife and I, Elizabeth did I it have, once yes. and it's crazy talk by the way. I mean, it's, it is a workout. Like it is so challenging to get through it, but I'm one couple questions in here. There's something about the precision there. And then I wonder like, as in, in Leslie's case, I mean, the Eureka moment, the, the, the lightning bolt got her to the work that she had to do. 
Like she still had to do all this work. I mean, it was all the motivation, get out of bed early, practice, rehearse, know, you know, know your opponent and and so on. So it's, it's not just the defining moment that matters. It's the defining moment that gets you to what's next. And, and it's the follow through, uh, realizing that, that, Yes, there is all of this work that you have to do, but it's <laughs> right. not it's not drudgery. It's you're right. looking forward to it. It's something there, you feel there's life in it driven to do. There, there's life in the work. Exactly. And back to the the mountain analogy. So if you have no motivation to work toward this goal, you're at the base of the mountain and the, the peak of the mountain would represent 100 um, percent motivation to do all of the work with inspired vigor now if you're down at the base of the mountain and you think okay well this is a goal that you would like to pursue you don't just sit there hanging out at the base waiting for sudden inspiration to arrive and materialize you at the top sometimes that does happen but it is more effective if you do that baby steps approach of start hiking a while and you're more and you're you're sort of you're you're acting like a tortoise but you're thinking like a hare where you could mm. be transported either to the peak of a uh, motivational mountain or at least much closer to the top along the way. That These are things that can work in conjunction with one another. I don't throw out the whole slow and steady approach. I, I actually recommend it while being attuned to the possibility of seeing a massive leap in your motivation. Is it about, is it about, um, is it really just about choice? Is this an existential decision that this, this is about getting out of bed in the morning for all the right reasons? You know, I don't think it's so much a decision as it is a sudden awakening in some ways. So it's, it's, it's coming from you, but at the same time, it feels like it's happening to you Mm. that, uh, that, uh, choice is not a great word because, when you feel overwhelmingly compelled that I must do this, choice kind of goes out the window. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why they're so incredibly motivating. Because it's like a sudden passion unleashed where we've gone from just making rational decisions. Oh, this seems like, you know, based on this mathematical analysis of the scenario, I have decided that the most logical decision is for me to do this. Well, that's not terribly inspiring. That's, you know, it's, it's not one of those things where that really has a tendency to drive people forward. When we start involving our emotional decision making processes, which is the way that we actually do make decisions is the way that we feel about them because our brains aren't supercomputers. We have a tendency to make decisions based on their emotional value uh, because of the way that our brains work. And when we really embrace that um, sort of gut feel that isn't really in the gut, it's more in your subconscious that that drives us to say this is what you have to do and you you engage those emotional drivers, then suddenly it's like, all right, this is this has got to happen. I mean, I feel like I will die if I don't do this. Yeah, you can't you can't not do this. Exactly. It was you know when I um, I had my big one in my twenties, but I've had other clarifying ones. Like when I decided that I was going to leave my business career and become a writer, uh, it, it was I was overwhelmingly driven to do so. It was one of those things where I. I'd never worked so hard at something in my life The I, I had a successful business career that I worked moderately hard at because it paid the bills. But when I decided to become a writer, I was 
overwhelmingly driven to to pursue this and uh, be as successful as I could. I want to I want to talk about those single life defining moments as you call them. Um but I also want to just touch on epiphany, you know, for me, I guess and maybe others, uh, it doesn't have to be this, but it definitely seems to have a religious edge to it or connotation. Mm-hmm. Can can you talk about that because that's clearly not a you do speak about it. Uh, yes. In fact, you talk about a you talk about prayer. You talk about, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about some very specific things. Um, with respect to that, can you talk a little bit about a, this this sort of broader, I guess, approach so you have? Yes. Yeah, so it's um, historically speaking that the term epiphany does have a lot of religious connotations with it because, you know, we see mirrored examples of it in religious texts such, such as, you know, Saul of Tarsus, who saw the burning bush and became Paul the Apostle. And um, there's just so many examples where we think about a religious epiphany where you were spoken to by God or an angel or some other worldly type of presence. And those people have those types of epiphanies today where they believe that there's a woman in the book who had a near-death experience uh, in a hospital room where, you know, she did die and was brought back to life and and uh, uh, had that that type of religious otherworldly epiphany. There was another man who had been diagnosed with uh, 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 MS and then the, the religious experience that he had after that. And so that is what is called uh, a mystical type of epiphany. <coughs> Excuse me. But there's there's also the insightful type. And the ones that I've experienced are more insightful in nature, where it's it's the answering of a question, where yeah. it's it's that creative uh, brain going into overdrive, where you've you've had this problem in your life. And maybe you didn't even know that you had the problem, but maybe it was in nagging at you subconsciously where you just kind of knew something wasn't right. Or there were a number of little problems that sort of achieved totality. It's called crystallization of discontent, where you reach something akin to a breaking point. And suddenly the solution to the problem is presented to you, where it's like, this is the answer. And it comes with an overwhelming sense of rightness because you've been waiting for this, and then here it comes, boom, you instantly know that this is the right thing that you have to do. There's a deep emotional wave because you're you're happy. It's like, hooray, this is the answer. I've, uh, these problems are going to go away because now I know how to fix them. So that's the insightful type. Um, the mystical type is uh, is more rooted in someone having a type of religious experience that it doesn't have to be necessarily associated with any individual type of faith. Uh, you know, it can happen to someone who uh, who is an atheist, but they just have some type of experience that, and the thing is that it doesn't matter what your individual beliefs are, that God does not have to exist in order for a person to have this type of experience, because we know that people have these experiences that that they believe that God or an angel or whatever said, this is what you have to do. Or, um, you know, it's just an, a sense of peace. Uh, and we don't know what's on the other end of it. It's, it's, but it happens. It's, it's the catalyst. Yeah. The, The reality is that people have these experiences and they're profound for that person and they change that person's life, whether or not, the causation of it was otherworldly or no, 
we don't know. And it doesn't really matter because the experience still happened for that person. So, so, okay. So I'm, you know, I'm 53. Uh, let's say, uh, uh, I'm married. I'm, I'm, I'm meandering along. Um, <laughs> I haven't, I don't think, and maybe you would challenge me on this. If you were interviewing me, let's say, I don't really feel like I've had a single life defining moment mm-hmm. and yet I don't feel quite satisfied. You know, you talk about happiness and Aristotle later in the book, which certainly got my attention and I'd love mm-hmm. to chat some more about that too, but what's going to get me there is, you know, you talk about mindfulness, you talk about being open to experiences and I mean, wonderful advice and, and things that we need to do. What's my, is it, is it a couple of shots of vodka in a row? Is that going <laughs> to, is that going to get me on, on the right track here, James? What, what are we talking about? Well, uh, from a very big picture perspective and, and I, I don't know what it is that you do in your spare time, but I know that, that most people have, seem to have developed a fear about being alone with their thoughts that we we see that i i don't want to be one of those cur, old curmudgeons <laughs> uh, you know you spend too much time on your your fancy little internet box in your hand there uh, but i i think that there is tremendous value in unplugging because this type of epiphany will not take place if you're distracted with something else that commands your attention. You need to instead be in an environment where your attention can be seduced by your surroundings. Um, Shower thoughts are a great one. Now they're making waterproof phones so people don't ever have to put their phone down. They can take their phone in the shower and they're missing out. Like I had a great shower thought just yesterday about uh, about another book idea. And so shower thoughts are, are very powerful because as long that as that should be by the way, that, that should be the title of your next book. Shower <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. That the it, you're you're away from technological distraction. It's it's not an intellectually demanding task. It's something, you know, you're going through motions that you've done thousands of times before. You don't have to think about it. You've got the white noise effect of the water. It's comfortable you're in a relaxed state so we can have all sorts of great uh you know there's an example of a woman in the book that was considering suicide and it was because of a shower thought that dramatically changed her life that said this is what you have to do and it took her from wanting to end her life to now living a great life because of the mission that was delivered to her in the shower and we've got uh, great thinkers across the ages extolling the virtues of a walk in nature by themselves. They weren't, no offense, David, they weren't listening to podcasts while they were out on that walk. Right. And, yep. you know, they weren't looking at their phone. They weren't listening to an audio book that they were just listening to the sounds of nature, the birds and the rustle of the leaves and the wind and that type of thing. And, and just letting their minds wander. That's the thing that people need to be able to do that. It happens while you're permitting your mind to wander. Why are, why are we so afraid of our thoughts? I mean, is this, is this a nice circle back to sort of your, your initial comment about, I, I mean, my sense is your initial comment was about being, being okay with who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked a little, I mean, the book is about self-awareness, it seems to mm-hmm. me, and about being able to shine that light, you know, under our, not navel-gazing, but shine it inside, I suppose, and say, I'm well, okay with who I am. And and is that why we're afraid of walking alone in the forest without a podcast playing in our ears? I, I think that there's a fear of boredom, mm. is and there there has been research showing that you know those that little Facebook like um, 
number that pops up gives you a little hit of dopamine because, you know, you get the approval of others that said they liked your witty poster, you know, the photo of your dog or something like that, that we're attention seekers. So there's a fear that we will, uh, you know, maybe be bored or people won't pay attention to us or, or we won't get that little positive reinforcement from, uh, of approval from others. And I, I think that, that people just need to be able to realize that, you know, if you can engage your own imagination that yes, just sitting alone, staring at a wall is boring. But if you're outside taking a walk, it, it's not necessarily boring if you don't have a podcast to listen to. I mean, humans manage to have uh, pleasurable walks for many centuries before the age of electronics. <laughs> so, so I actually, it, it, I actually think though that your chances for epiphany could go up uh, by listening to face to face, just I just want to toss that out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then go for a walk afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, point point well taken. So, so is that the biggie? Is that the really the big big lesson? The most important takeaway? I mean, it's certainly one of the many threads I see in your writing. Is this idea of stepping back and and listening? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, exactly, because it, it's it's one of those things where we have a tendency to react to the environment and to our daily lives, where it's like something happens and then we automatically react to it. And we don't stop and mindfully consider, well, who could I be in this moment? What other opportunities are there for me to respond in a thoughtful way? And also doing this, um, engaging in these opportunities to allow our minds to deliver an important message to us because if we're constantly plugged in via some type of distraction whether it be a tv or radio or cell phone or internet or whatever we're not listening to what's going on inside our own heads and and that is what sudden insight is is you got a message from what was inside your own head and if you're constantly blaring other noise you're never going to be able to hear it james do you have to do this in a community to some degree so of course you walk out in the woods on your own do you need a partner do you need a friend do you need a a team elders around you a mentor i would i would say in most cases you're better off being alone um because if you're having a conversation with somebody conversation is great but again you're in a distracted state uh, where where someone is is demanding your attention via their conversation. If you're walking with somebody and you're not talking, you're just walking hand in hand, enjoying being in proximity to one another, uh, then yeah, that, that can work fine. Uh, but it's when you have to engage, like I'm having a conversation with you right now, I'm probably not going to have some sudden insight right now because I'm thinking about what it is that you've just told me and I'm thinking about what it is that I have to say next. Sure. Uh, Being in that state of just, you know, out in nature where, you know, we see the research has been done that shows being alone in nature uh, enhances creativity. Uh, they, They have scientific evidence to show that this is the case. And this is all about enhancing your creative thought because we're looking for the answer to the question of our lives or either uh, all of it or just a small part of it. And that's how we're going to find it is in this type of, it's not going to happen when 
you're scrolling through Facebook. How come? So, so believe it or not, we're we're coming to the near near to the end of the interview, which I can't believe. And I knew as <laughs> as I suspected, I, I knew we were going to barely scratch the surface on this stuff. I I love this kind of conversation and and the the revelations to me. You know, they just they bubble to the surface one after the other. Do, do we really need any more motivational books? Um, I would say yes, <laughs> because I wrote one. Go buy it. That's right. Um, you know, I've uh, I when when I got into writing about health and fitness ten years ago, I I started that because I became the writer that I wanted to read. At the time, ten years ago, I wasn't really impressed with what was out there. It was a lot of there was a lot of BS. There was a lot of you know group hug. You can do it. Go girl. Oprah voice on one end, and then you've got right. the chest some chest thumping testosterone testosterone fueled alpha bro stuff on the other end and i really didn't like it i just thought this is this is obnoxious or it's just not my thing and and so i started uh writing for a local magazine and then within a year i had a column in the los angeles times despite you know living in canada and and so there seemed to be a call for that and uh, you know i have to admit I have not read a lot of self-help books because they didn't really have what it was that I felt that I wanted, which, for one, was a lot of science. I felt that most self-help books were missing out on the scientific aspect, and uh, they were sort of a rah-rah, you-can-do-it ad nauseum, or then there's, you know, now there's the the anti-self-help book, but there, there and I'm not saying that, that there aren't any good ones. There actually are a number of good ones that I ended up writing or sorry, not writing, sorry, uh, reading as part of my preparation for, for this book. And, but, but I wanted to, to write something that was, you know, well-written and amusing and funny and sarcastic and had a bit of profanity in it, but also was very well-grounded in, in science that explored a unique idea. And the thing is that the human brain is incredibly complex and psychology is very much a growing field where there's a lot more, I would say, that we don't understand that, than do. And yes, I think there's there's lousy self-help books out there that don't really help any anybody. But I think that there's a lot of possibility for new ones that if we embrace the evidence and look at what is the science telling us and how can we communicate that effectively to our readers rather than some type of pseudoscientific crap, which unfortunately permeates not just self-help, but many things. I mean, coming from a weight loss background, let me tell you oh. how much pseudoscience was out oh, there. Oh, yeah. And what a that, growth industry from from different approaches and different fad diets. And this is yeah. the one you got to try. Here's the quick fix. And you speak a great deal about quick fixes too yeah. th- throughout. I love I love your book for, for all those reasons, I think, the, 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 the narrative. Uh, I, your profanity, uh, your, your, your deep sense of, of humanity as well, frankly, just it's rooted in, uh, here are my observations. I've read a lot of books. I've made a lot of connections. I love, I love the connections. I think, I think it, uh, I think it makes it very authentic. Uh, I'm glad that you appreciate that. That was one of the things that, that when I started writing the book, I, it, it was one of those things that just sort of made me feel like, 
I'm not going to hold back who I am and what I believe that there are some, it's certainly a very liberal leaning book that I interviewed Catherine Switzer about her decision to change the world in terms of getting more women into running. So that's a very pro feminism type of message. Uh, there's a woman who had a, uh, a sudden epiphany about her gender identity. So I think, you know, your, your typical, uh, Ford Nation voter or whatever might not appreciate that, and I don't care. And there's the stuff about eudaimonia, where uh, you're not. It's not just about being happy. It's about having a purpose in life that is not just something that is valuable for you, but can help make the world a better place. So I'm very encouraging of uh, of people doing things that, that aren't just for themselves, but their community at large, that, you know, I, I think that, you know, we can all be better people, not just for ourselves, but for others. Absolutely. I love that. What a beautiful, what a beautiful way sort of to, to, to come to a, to almost to a close in, in, in the interview. <laughs> no, it really is. This is about, about self-help, but it's also about reaching out into the community, into a, uh, uh, into the world. And that's kind of the work that I'm involved in. And so I, yeah, I, I, I love that. And, and like I said, I hope, I hope you sell a million copies. Um, so, quote, just because uh, from chapter nine, nudging toward the leap, and, and, and we've got to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, but here, James Fell, and in, in uh, let me get the subtitle right, how lasting change can happen in an instant, the holy S moment, uh, <laughs> just because epiphany is something that pops in doesn't mean you can't plan for it, both mentally and practically, preparing yourself for life-changing insight to arrive. You may not be able to determine when it will happen, but there is plenty of strategic work to be done to skew the odds regarding if it will close quote i mean it's a it's a real sort of i think after our conversation and reading the book i think it's a real affirmation and frankly a real challenge uh to listeners out there to to roll up their sleeves and and dive in it seems to me it's it's certainly an enigmatic event that it's not a like a blueprint for building a house where at the end of it you have a house there is fair enough uh, you know, we're 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 making our best efforts and we're we're crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. I did design the book in such a way that, OK, if you go through it and even, you know, years later, you never had that life changing epiphany. The steps that you go through are still valuable. <laughs> it wasn't a total waste of time. And I also, you know, I like to think that maybe you learned some stuff, uh, some science and and had an enjoyable read at the same time. Well, it's just, it's it's marvelous. The quotes, the stories, the, the, the narrative evidence that you have, frankly, is more appealing to me as a philosopher and a film lover than, than the scientific data that you bring to the table. But I, I love what you've done with the book. It's, uh, let's call it what it is. It's the holy shit moment by James Fell, uh, how lasting change can happen in an instant. James, thanks so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it oh thank you for having me on the show david planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.